welcome to episode 83 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, Going to be a little different this episode. Actually taped uh, a part of this episode with uh, Russ Cohen at Sportsology on Twitter, as we always do, and Anthony Mangione. Uh, but unfortunately, Zoom and uh, today's technology has not helped us out a whole heck of a lot here. Uh, and I'm working on retrieving that audio from Zoom. Once I get it, I will put it out in a separate episode of this podcast, which would be episode 84. This is episode 83, and uh, you'll get to hear my exclusive one-on-one conversation with former NHL goaltender, former Flyers general manager, back with the Los Angeles Kings in an advisory role, and has just extended his agreement there. Ron Hextall will be our feature interview in this episode, and that'll be coming up in just a couple of moments. We touched on a lot of different subjects uh, from Ron's playing days growing up and why he became a goaltender, to obviously his advancement into NHL management and to the general manager of the Flyers and everything that has happened since thereafter as well. So a lot to unpack uh, in just about 40 minutes of my conversation with Ron Hextall. Before we get to uh, that interview, though, a couple of news and notes. At this time, it's 6.30 on Friday evening. Uh, The voting period for the NHL players has now come and gone, the 48 hours, which began on Wednesday to ratify the new CBA and return to play protocol. At the moment of taping here, we have not gotten... Uh, an official announcement of an agreement. Uh, Everyone is anticipating that without any snags here. Uh, So uh, for presumption purposes, uh, the CBA and the return to play protocol, the memorandum of understanding will go through. Uh, Frank Saravalli of TSN earlier this week also put out some critical dates that the NHL was uh, pointing towards. Uh, The teams are going to report to Uh, Their hub cities, Toronto and Edmonton, around the 24th of July. So just about two weeks from today, uh, the training camps, Phase 3, will open up this coming Monday. Uh, Also, the exhibition games will happen soon thereafter. Uh, They get to their hub city uh, around the 25th or 26th for each team. And then on January 30th, that's when the qualification round begins. That's the best of five play-in round uh, for the eight teams in each conference uh, to try and earn their way into that field of 64. All the teams that don't earn their way into the field of 64, the eight that are eliminated in the playoff round or the play-in round, excuse me, uh, will end up in that lottery uh, with a 12.5% chance to land the top overall pick uh, in this coming draft for uh, which, obviously, that won't be determined until the eight teams are knocked out. The NHL will have phase two of the lottery coming up after the play-in round. First round of the actual playoffs, the field of 16, will be on August 9th. August 23rd is when the second round will begin. September 6th, your conference finals will begin, and it looks like they'll move to one location when they get to the conference finals, and that is looking like it's going to be Edmonton. So the final four teams will be in Edmonton. They'll have the, each conference final there and the Stanley Cup final there as well, which is, will be slated to begin coming up on September 20th. Uh, the last possible game of the Stanley Cup final, a last possible date to hand out Uh, The Cup would be on October 2nd. Now, with October 2nd being the last possible day, uh, they've also now set a couple of days later to have their NHL draft, which would just be about the 6th of October, and the free agency period would follow right after that. So the NHL kind of setting their calendar here. It's not etched in stone. There can be some movement, uh, maybe either way. Uh, But it looks like uh, that that was what they plan to do. Again, have the draft October 6th and then had the free agency period beginning seven days after the Cup is handed out at the latest on October 2nd, which would be October 9th, and then November 17th. Quick turnaround here, just about five weeks 
until the NHL teams would then report for training camps of the 2020-21 season and the opening of that season would it would just be about a two-week training camp and then on December 1st they would drop the puck on a new 2020-2021 NHL season where the NHL wants to play all 82 games again it'll push the schedule a little bit uh, it won't conclude in June the season will probably conclude sometime in, in early July under this timeline it may take a year two maybe three years for the league to get back to the normal October first week of of October drop the puck on the season and end the season uh, before the midway point of June, especially with the inclusion of the 2022 and the 2026 Olympics in the new CBA, provided the NHL uh, comes to an agreement with the IIHF and the IOC on some outstanding issues there. But it looks like the NHL and the best players in the world will be going back to international play in the Olympics and be able to play for their country as well. So uh, a lot going on in the NHL, still a lot of uncertainty, of course, uh, but great to get this timeline. And you look at that and you say, well, training camps are going to open really early in November here, in, in mid-November, November 17th, and they're going to turn around and start a season December 1st. But remember, uh, only two teams are going to play until October 2nd at the latest. Uh, only four teams are going to play uh, until even uh, the third week of September, and the playoff field gets cut down dramatically every every eight to, to, to 14 days. So, uh, only a few teams will be in that boat. Will it be a disadvantage? Absolutely. Would every team love to have that disadvantage to be in the finals and play for the cup this year? Absolutely. Really simple. All right, this is episode 83 of the Stick to Hockey podcast, and uh, I had a chance to sit down with the former Flyer goaltender and general manager, Ron Hextall. Very in-depth conversation here. A lot revealed. I hope you enjoy the interview, and here's my conversation with Ron Hextall. Joining us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast, former NHL goaltender, general manager, and all-around really good guy, Ron Hextall joins us right now. Ron, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? Well, we're all making it through the pandemic. How's it been for you uh, dealing with these very unprecedented and unique circumstances? Yeah, I, I think like everybody else, it's certainly been um, a little frustrating at times, but you have to deal with it, and you know, we're doing our best to deal with it. Actually, i got to two daughters that are in, in uh, the medical profession and one of them's on the front lines and actually got COVID. So kind of seen it uh, firsthand and um, not an easy thing to deal with for sure. Yeah. As a parent, that's, I'm sure that's tough to, to know that, you know, on the front line, you got uh, kids in your family uh, putting your, themselves at risk for the betterment of everybody. Um, it's yeah. been a wild time. Um, it's been a wild time over the past couple of years. Uh, but first and foremost, I got to thank you for something. I'm sure you don't even know what it is, but uh, I'm going to thank. <laughs> well, after I, I was fired on a Halloween, you sent me a really nice text unsolicited. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I just yeah. wanted to thank you for that. It meant a lot to me as a guy that, uh, you know, grew up watching you and being a big fan of yours uh, to send that was um, very classy. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh, well, you know how it is. Yeah. You lose your job, and no one likes to see anybody lose their job, and there's certainly empathy. So I was just, uh, you were always very fair to me, and um, I felt bad for you. Well, I appreciate that very much, and um, and I appreciate you doing this. And I, I want to start kind of going back in your career because – as you know, preparing for this interview, I went back and looked at a lot of your career. And you know, first of all, a six-round draft pick, and you get to the NHL at the age of 22. And what a magical year 1986-87 was for you. You led the league in so many categories, uh, from games played, saves. Your team gave up the most amount of shots that season. 
How did you jump into the NHL and have that kind of success at that age, Ron? Because that, that's early for a goaltender, especially back then. And to just kind of ride that wave of that season, it was so tremendous for you. Well, I think, first of all, I jumped onto a really good team. So, you know, it's if I jumped onto a lower-end team in the league, obviously things wouldn't have, you know, turned out the way they did that year. I had a lot of support, really good leadership on our team, the, the, the Dave Poulins and Mark Howes and Brad McCrimmons, and we just had a, we had a real special group. And, you know, as far as personally for myself, I spent two years in the minors, and because I spent two years in the minors, I was ready to go and ready to be a number one rather than coming as a, a backup and maybe play 25 games or 30 games. Um, I I personally prefer that route, certainly for myself. I wasn't ready yet as a 20 or 21-year-old, but as a 22-year-old, I, I really felt ready for the league and, and felt ready to be a number one. And again, for me, that's a preferred path. There's different ways that that goaltenders go. Um, the one thing with a goaltender, it's not like a sixth defenseman or a, maybe a, a, a third line winger where you can start there and then work your way up the lineup with a goalie. You're either in the net or you're not in the net. You might get a little weaker competition sometimes, but on the other hand, sometimes you get a back-to-back night that better competition. Um, so I just felt like I was ready to take on that role. And if I'd have been up a year earlier, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have been able to. It's, it's amazing what one summer can, can make a difference. You played 66 games that year. You preferred playing the lot of games as well, didn't you? I did. I did. And, you know, Mike Keena at the time, he, he liked playing his guy a lot too. So it, it, you know, kind of messed with, and I think back then, most guys liked to play a lot. We probably didn't, well, we didn't know as much about, um, you know, the body and rest and everything as we know now. Um, but I certainly, I felt like the more I played, the better I played. And I know back then, a lot of guys felt the same way. Did, did you have, uh, when you were on the bench in games that you didn't play, and it wasn't very often, did, did it kind of like almost burn you inside, not having any control into the outcome of that game? No, I was actually pretty relaxed. Um, you know, you just take that mental break and, you know, if you got to go in, you go in and, and do your best, but you take that mental break and you, you know, try and be positive with your teammates and someone comes off a bad shift, try and kind of pump them up a little bit and do what you can. Uh, the one thing as a goalie or as a teammate, you got to realize when you're not in there, the team's still trying to win and the other goalie wants to win too so fair is fair and you try and help out in any way you can um let's go back to that year as well because it's such a magical season for the flyers and and uh the run you guys went on in those playoffs and to eventually in game seven and we've all watched these games you know during the pause everybody's broadcasting the old games because we don't have current games have you gone back and looked at any of that that footage uh, from back in 1987 no i i haven't i I don't have really much desire to <laughs> kind of go back. That's one of those things, especially game seven is one of those things that you regret. And I don't, I've, I've never seen it. I mean, obviously just it being in the hockey world, you see a highlight here and there, but um, I've never, I've never watched, uh, I've never watched that series. Uh, can you almost go back in, in your mind's eye and remember the moment when it all concluded and you can finally get your feet under you and realize the emotional war that you just went through that's that that entire spring into the summer and what it felt like when it was all over um to some degree 
Um, but I remember the year being over. We had a party. Uh, I went back home to Manitoba for, I don't think it was much more than a month. And then we were off to the Canada Cup there in 80, 87. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to kind of reboot and retool. So it was kind of right back to work. Um, but, you know, you do remember the sting. It stung. I mean, it stung. And it stung every guy in our room. It was, uh, you go through, you know, the entire season. And then you go through two months of hard playoff series. And, you know, back then we didn't have, two days off in between I think after, before game seven of the finals we had two days but the rest of the playoffs we just had one day in between games and we maxed out in two series and we went six games in two series so we went through a lot as a team we were beat up pool and had broken ribs Timmy Kerr was out the whole playoffs uh we had numerous other guys Howie had a bad back I think and we had numerous other guys banged up and the, the physical toll it took on us and then all of a sudden when it was over, I just remember our room and it was so somber. And But, you know, in saying that, we left it all on the table. There was not, there wasn't anything more to give. And, you know, we took one of the best teams and certainly, if not the best team, one of the best teams in NHL history to, to game seven. And, you know, you, when you look back, there's certainly things to reflect on that are, that are positive. Yeah, and uh, Wayne Gretzky's been on the record saying it was the best goaltending performance and goaltending he's ever faced in his career, and that, and that means something coming from a guy like Wayne Gretzky, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember him saying that. That was certainly uh, humbling for him. Yeah, you almost can't even build a team to that level in today's NHL in any way, shape, or form. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, where did you develop the desire and ability to play the puck the way you did because you blazed a trail in the NHL that we still see today, uh, so much so that the league had to implement the trapezoid behind the net to, to kind of mitigate the goalie's ability to control that. Uh, when did that kind of develop for you? You know, it was always, it was always in my game, even when I was um, pretty young. I, you know, as a goaltender, when you're a young kid, you don't see a whole lot of action. And I, for some reason, I always like to be kind of involved in the game. And if the puck would come down to our end, I would stop it or just move it to my defenseman. And I spent a lot of time um, on outdoor rinks by myself with a player stick uh, in my driveway with a net, a tennis ball and a stick for hours and hours just, just playing and I think just because I, I enjoyed playing, I love the game, um, that I developed some skill over the years. Uh, you had a unique curve on that Victoriaville stick that you had as well. Uh, was that something you worked with uh, the company to develop? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I did. It was uh, just had a little bit of a, a slant on it. I, what I tried to do was straddle not, not encompassing your ability to stop the puck but also being able to, to handle it and control your rebounds. So I kind of found that sweet spot over the years that I felt comfortable with. But, you know, back then you get a batch of sticks. The sticks weren't like now. They were uh, more handmade, I think. And the, the, uh, the ability for them to replicate the same stick over and over wasn't easy. So you'd, you'd order four dozen or whatever, and you'd go through them, and a couple dozen would go back at times. So... It was a different time for sure. Now they, they come out of a mold, I think, and they're pretty much the same every stick, but a little bit of a different different world back then. Do you remember a period of time where you had to use the Sherwood stick because the Victoriaville factory actually burnt down? 
they replicated your I, same stick. Yeah, yeah. I changed the Sherwood. I can't remember how many years in, but I definitely changed the Sherwood, and they did the best they could to replicate the Vic, and they did a pretty good job. So it was, it was interesting. I, I'm sure they probably got a hold of one of my Vicks and just looked and did the best they could. But back then, you know, I liked the light stick. Now, a light stick back then was nothing like it is today, but I like the light stick. So you wanted it strong to be able to stop the puck and not break, but you also wanted to, you know, have some uh, maneuverability in it. So there was that, that sweet spot that they had to hit and it wasn't always easy, I'm sure, for them. Um, why goalie, Ron? What, what turned you on to the position? Was it the, the equipment? Was it the last line of defense? What, what, what was it that drew you into the net? You know, I, I was I was so young um, when I showed the tendency to want to be a goalie. I, my mom says I was two, three years old. I used to throw a sock up the stairs and make the save when it came down. So how do you even explain what it was? I mean, my dad was a forward. My uncle was a forward. My grandfather was a forward. So I, I really don't have any explanation for it. And obviously, I can't remember throwing the sock up and down the stairs. So... Uh, just something in me, I guess, when I was young and I was going to be a goalie. I remember when I, my first year of organized hockey, I was eight years old. Um, it was in, actually in Pittsburgh, believe it or not. And my dad said, well, you got to play forward because you got to learn how to skate. And of course he thought that I'd play, play forward or play defense and then never go back to the net. But I think it was a month or two into that, that season when I was eight and, our coach's son was a goalie and we were on the way to the rink and we just happened to be on the highway and the coach was in front of us and his son head wasn't popping up. So we figured he was probably sick and sure enough, he was sick. And I went in that that day and that was it stayed in the rest of the year. Yeah. I think, I think believe firmly that goalies are born. It's kind of like you're born with it and it's just going to be the way it is. And even if you start somewhere else, you find your way to the crease. <laughs> Is that a, is that a, is that a good thing? <laughs> well, well, it turned out to be for you. For me, it didn't turn out as good as it did for you, Ron. <laughs> I excelled at letting pucks in. You excelled at stopping them. <laughs> oh, I had my fair share of those two of the ones. Oh boy. <laughs> well, you were such a competitor. Um, you approached the game uh, like a position of of dictating as a as opposed to being a goalie, which is such a reactive position. Um, wh when was uh, you know your aggression in the way you uh, played the game really apparent? Was that was that younger, or did that come more when you got into junior and pro levels? No, I I, re I regret to say that was that started pretty. That started pretty young. I'm not sure what it was. I have to blame it on my dad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that that's one of the hallmarks that, you know, you were a guy that, that was feared back there. I mean, I, I saw the video of you going after Robbie Brown <laughs> after he scored. We know, we know of the incidents, but uh, uh, you, you played the game with an edge. Is that something that helped to keep you really mentally focused as well? I think I played my best when I was, was um, really into the game, and I think when I was really into the game, I was aggressive, so... It's something that, um, you know, back then the game was a lot different too. As we know, penalties back then, we didn't, we didn't, as the Flyers back then, didn't worry so much about taking penalties. Our, our, our penalty killing was very good and, you know, the other team was taking a lot too. So we didn't break things down probably as much as they do now. And the games weren't as close as they were now. And the physical play was much more a part of it. And you'd get a, 
you know, something physical happened and you say a guy took a penalty for something physical and your team would respond to it and go on to win the game. So it was a different game back then. It wasn't as much chess uh, chess game as it is now and you didn't, it didn't have to be, you know, the, the, you know, whatever you want to call them, the dumb penalties, the unnecessary penalties that we can't afford to take now or that people can't afford to take. It was different back in that day. Why was management the route for you to go after playing as opposed to maybe get into coaching or goalie coaching and kind of work from there? Yeah, no, I always wanted to be in management. Um, I guess in, in watching Bob Clark manage and stuff, I always, I always liked the thought of building a team and watching a team grow. And so management was always kind of the thing that I, I wanted to do after playing and, I was fortunate to have that opportunity. Do you think that a, a goal, having played goaltender in the National Hockey League and seeing the game in front of you for so many years, it gives a it gives a different perspective into the game and how it's a, a you know approached and evaluated and everything. Do you think being a goalie uh, is, is an advantage for you because you know you you saw the game differently from from the crease out as opposed to being an offensive player? Uh, yeah, I certainly think there are. Uh... I agree. Positives by the way. <laughs> there, yeah. You you really do see the game. You you, you see your team forecheck and you see your team backcheck and you see your defenseman. You see the other team, the play developing. You see the plays out of the corner. Like you really, I mean, if you're really on top of it, you really want to see the whole game. You want to see where all five of those guys are on the ice. You talk about Gretzky knowing where everybody was on the ice. Well, as a goalie, you want to know where everybody is because you want to know when that pass is coming and where it may go and if the guy's a right shot or a left shot. So people don't realize, um, you know, hockey sense for a goaltender is it's enormous. People just think you go out there and you're athletic and you make saves. Well, there's a lot more to it than that reading, anticipating where the puck is going to go, anticipating again, where a guy's going to release the puck from. There's so many things uh, with regards to a goalie that you you think about and you have to react to that hockey sense is a huge factor. Yeah, I've always said that uh, the, the position is all about assessing threat and vulnerability, the threat of the where your opposition players are and the vulnerability yeah. and where you are positioned defensively. Um, 100%. Yeah, I, and when you see, the, you know, you were at the Kings and they won the Cup in 2013, you were there for a number of years, and a guy like Jonathan Quick and the way he attacks playing that position, which I just love watching the, the compete level, which is very similar to you, but the technical aspects of his game, uh, when you saw that up close and personal through his development, what was that like for you watching a goalie do it so differently? Oh, it was terrific. Watching him, I mean, I had the pleasure of seeing him in college a number of times and then the American League and then up to the National League, kind of saw the, the entire growth period for him and, you know, certainly got to know the kid as a, as a youngster and, you know, even – this past season getting to see him again um it's it's been a, a really fun to watch the growth in jonathan as a as a goaltender but also as a human being you know he's a, he's a husband he's a father it's so to see him go from a, a college kid to you know a father and a husband and and certainly one of the best goaltenders in the last 10 or 15 years it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch yeah he's as entertaining to watch as a goaltender as you'll ever see so acrobatic and competitive uh, is he going to be able to walk on those hips come uh, 50 55 years old oh he'll be fine he's an athlete he's got huge legs and a huge butt and 
He'll be he'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, th- those years with the Kings, you win the cup. What was that like to win a cup in a role of management in 2013? To to see all that work that you put in all over all those years, and to have it come to fruition by winning that trophy that you tried to win so many times as a player. Oh, it was it was huge. It was you know it's a it's a only time I've won it. So it was uh, you know obviously as a player is. is is what you want to do. That's first and foremost. And when I wasn't, didn't win one as a player, the next thing you say, okay, I want to win one in management just to have that feeling. And uh, I, I remember like it was yesterday, the last, you know, eight or 10 minutes of the, the game against uh, Jersey there. And we had a big lead and it was like, this is really going to happen. It was, it was phenomenal. And the, the, the celebration and, you know, sp- spending your day with the cup. But I think the most rewarding thing is, is, you know, we were there um, uh, six years at the time, and to see a team grow and the young players come into their own and take the big role that they took, uh, just the growth in the team, the team coming together, and I think we were an eight seed that year. Like, we were still a young team on the way up um, that was fortunate to win it. But to see the growth in all those young players and the team come together was absolutely phenomenal. The way you guys built it out there was similar to the tact you took when you came here to Philadelphia originally as an assistant general manager, but then eventually taking those reins, seeing that you have to draft and develop. That's your philosophy, isn't it? Well, if you look at history in, in a cap world, it's pretty much the only way to do it. It's, yep. We all have a cap and free agents. We all talk about, you know, you pay free agents this much and then you have the free agent premium. So you, you can't build a team like that anymore. That's reality. You can certainly add a, a piece once you get your young group together and get your young core together. Then all of a sudden you say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll add a piece here and a piece there. We need a left winger. We need a left D whatever that need be, because you figure you're going to need something. So you, you use that little money you have left to kind of fill that last hole or what you feel like is the last hole. What was that? Uh, you know, you, you came in with a, a plan of patience. What was that meeting like with uh, the late Mr. Ed Snyder uh, to say that we got to do this a different way, we got to do it a patient way? That, that's <laughs> yeah. not easy with him, right? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the exact story. It was so I got hired. And he came in and met with me, and he said to me, what do you need from me? I said, Mr. Schneider, with all due respect, I said, I, need, I only need one thing. And I've told this story before, but I said, uh, I need patience. And he looked at me, and it was, I don't know how long it was. I mean, it felt like literally two minutes, but it was probably 30, 45, maybe a minute. Um, and I thought, oh, boy. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> I said the wrong thing. <laughs> I said the wrong thing. This probably isn't a good way to start. He, he finally, he started talking. And he said, you know, he said, oh, first of all, he said, well, you don't think I'm a patient man? I was like, um, how do I answer that? Well, I, 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 I said, well, their history isn't exactly patience here. And then he said, you know, he said, we won our first Stanley Cup because I was patient. And he says, I don't know what the hell happened to me after that. That was it. And I was wow. like, oh, my God, he's in. Again, I was, and you know, quite honestly, I thought that was could be my biggest obstacle because he was a, you know, he was a win now guy, and that's an admirable trait, a terrific trait. But all of a sudden, you're in a cap world, and you gotta, you gotta be, you, you, yeah, you have to have some patience. Like you look at Chicago and L.A. and the teams that have have won. I mean, even Boston, a lot of their guys are they're homegrown guys, their core is homegrown, and then yeah, the 
you know, a free agent like Char, obviously, to to uh, finish it off. But their their core guys, for the most part, are homegrown guys, and you got to let it grow together, and it takes time. Yeah, and you have to have to build a team not only that that's cohesive with an identity, and and that's what you did in L.A. and and that's what you did here. As you you know, you, you turn the page and, and everything that happened last season. Uh, I I know it it hurt you in a lot of ways, and and, and, I, and I understand why. Um, how do you look back on your time with the Flyers now that the, some time has passed and, and you've moved into back into LA? Well, you know what I said at the time, like I, I'm proud of the job we did. I had an absolutely terrific staff, our scouting staff, you know, the focus obviously was, was scouting at that time and our scouting staff, um, they did a heck of a job and I'm, I'm proud of the job we did. And it's, uh, to me, if you look back, I think it was four and a quarter years, you know, the first two to three years was pretty much let's let's clear this cap up because we have issues. Um, so let's clear the cap up. Let's gather assets. We draft and develop. So the first two or three years was really, you know, those two things, gather assets and um, clear our cap up, get rid of some of the older players with the contracts that were going to that were going to hurt us. Because if we don't do that, we're going to have we're going to be forced to trade young players because they're not going to take your older players or big contracts. And I saw that coming. I'm a visionary. I've said that all along. So if we don't get rid of, you know, those bigger contracts, the Couturiers and the Shens and guys like that, we're going to be forced to trade them because teams aren't going to take your older players. So so you can become cap compliant. Well, one of the things you did too is with uh, Chris Pryor and having Sarge here uh, to run those drafts for you. You had a great staff. It's great to have draft picks and to be able to make trades and acquire more draft picks, but you got to pick the right players. And you guys did so often uh, getting Ivan Provorov in the draft, getting guys like uh, Travis Konechny, Oscar Lindblom in the fifth round. Uh, philosophically, what was your approach to uh, how you evaluated players? Um, well, the the first thing that I wanted, probably the biggest change when I went in was hockey sense. We have to prioritize hockey sense. Mm-hmm. The game is different. The game is changing and we've got to get hockey sense and, and move it up the chart. So that's, that's the first thing we did. Um, but you know, you, you can't forget all the other things, the competitiveness and, 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 and the, the, the skill level obviously and the skating and, uh, but but you're not going to get it all, so you have to prioritize. Okay, you're late around. Okay, does the guy have a? Does he have an NHL asset? Okay, what is it? Skating, size, skill. What what is it? Why does this guy have a chance of playing National Hockey League? And for Oscar, it, it was it, it was his hockey sense. So you take a guy like that and show, okay, his hockey sense is is elite. All right, he's got a chance to play in the NHL. Um, if his skill, you know, he's got good skill too, but if you've got another guy, his skill is elite, his hockey sense is a little, a little off. So we'll take a shot at him because he's got that one asset that gives him at least a chance. And when you're talking to later rounds, that's what you're looking for. You're looking guys that have a chance to play in the NHL. If we all thought they were going to play a hundred percent, we would have taken much earlier. When you look back and you see all these players that, that you drafted and developed here and you see them having this kind of sex, like Travis Konechny makes an all-star team this year. Uh, Ivan Provorov is a number one deep pairing defenseman, just four years in the league, hasn't missed a game. Uh, you look at Carter Hart, who's in the league now. Uh, when, when you see that, do you look upon those guys with, with a good amount of pride? Because oh, they've mentioned you. Because they've mentioned you yeah. and you know the fact no. that you went out and got them. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, 
you know, it's funny because you talk about Carter. I was nervous about Carter thinking that we might not get him and our guys really liked him and our goalie coaches knew him. Like we had a lot of information on him and it was like, okay, we had the 36 pick. And I remember we met after day one and it's like, I, w- I was kind of pushing them. I said, boys, we get a, we got picked this guy at 36 and they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to get him later. We're going to get him later. We got two more picks there. And sure enough, they were right. So, you know, good on them. But that was a guy that our staff, they all liked him. And one thing about our staff, like they, they'd voice their opinions. And if they didn't like a guy, great, that's fine. And if two guys didn't like a guy, that's fine. They would voice it. So you try and, you know, your scouting staff, you try and have them be as transparent as possible. And just because five guys like a player and you don't like him, I want you to say you don't like him and tell us why you don't like him and let's talk about it. So there was a lot of work behind the scenes between our staff and, you know, you develop a chemistry with, with your staff and that staff certainly, certainly has it. In looking at Carter as, as a young junior player, and we know the numbers that he had uh, with the weekend, I mean, just off the charts out in Everett, uh, yeah. you look at that, but, you know, in meeting with the, the person, uh, he had to blow you away just with his maturity and the way he approached the position. He, he did, and he had a really good answer for, uh, you know, we had him at the combine there and we're talking to him, and one of our guys asked him, well, you know, you're, you're under six foot one and, you know, I forget the percentage of goalies that are over six foot one in the league right now. What, what makes you think that you can, um, you can play in the league? And he had a stat, he had something like four, I think it was four of the last five Stanley Cup winners were six one or below. And it was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. This young man's prepared. You're going, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's an intelligent individual on the ice off the ice you talk about reading the play carter reads a play as good as anybody yeah and he's got all those technical aspects of the position as well which you know you know back back in your day it wasn't quite so technical was it (laughs) no no it wasn't i mean my my first goalie coach was bernie prompt with the flyers wow you know and with all due respect you know we didn't we didn't work on the game a whole lot it was more give me someone to talk to we just didn't we just didn't work on it back then yeah, there was remember, no post-integration. <laughs> no, I remember Trechak asking me why I turned my skates. So I met him in, uh, I think, the summer of 87 at the Canada Cup there, and he asked me why I turned my skates. And I just said, well, that's how everybody does it, other than probably at the time Trechak, right? I remember watching him play, and he was a, a butterfly goalie. And, yeah. and he, I didn't really have an answer for him, like I said, other than to say that, well, that's, that's how everybody does it, right? Make a skate save. Like, it's crazy when you think about it now, how much time it takes you to, to turn your foot. And, like, that's it's crazy to think back. Yeah, open up like that. And when you can use that entire oh. circumference of the pad to, to make that save. And Francois Laird, you know, developing the, the butterfly style to, to the degree maybe it is now. Yeah, 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 100%. It's, uh, I, I do wonder when I think back, like, why didn't I try to change? But when you're in the middle of, trying to win games and win seasons and you know we didn't skate much in the in the uh, off season so you didn't have a lot of time to work at things you, a couple of weeks before camp you'd start skating um so we didn't work at our game like these guys did but again we didn't study the game either like these guys do yeah, you were ahead of your time though you were a big goalie you were six three uh there wasn't a lot of tall goalie guys like mike vernon and you know, a lot of shorter goalies in the league at that time. You had to look like an albatross out there compared to some of those other netminders that the shooters were seeing. 
Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of all over the place. So you had the the Mike Leutes and the Pete Peters and certainly the Ken Drydens before me, but you also had you know as, as you mentioned Jimmy Jimmy Rutherford. I mean, I I got a lot of fond memories of Jimmy because he played with my dad there, and Jimmy was really really good to me. But there was a lot of Rogi Vashon, like there was a lot of small guys too. So there was no real okay, we need a guy that's, you know, 6'2 or over or six feet or under. It was just sort of like, who's who's the best goalie? And now, obviously, teams are looking for, for bigger guys, and there's a lot of there's a lot of bigger goalies now for sure. Yeah. Uh, why the strap hanging initially when you came into the National Hockey League? Were you the, the helmet and, and cage? Why the strap hanging? The chin strap that you never buckled? You really did your you really did your homework or have uh, a good This isn't homework. This you is know? just me w- watching you. I could ask you about your your routine yeah. coming off the bench in between periods and doing the two pivot circles. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure I remember that one, but I think the strap <clears throat> back then we didn't have to do it up, so I just somehow did, didn't do it up and I'm, I'm not sure why I left it on. I probably maybe I had to leave it on. I'm not sure, but I don't know nowadays you have to have them done up and I think in my later days, you probably would have had them done up. But back then, you didn't have to have them done up. So I felt more comfortable without it done up. Well, as a kid, I took it as a sign of rebellion, which I was all for. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's not hes not doing his strap. He's like, screw you. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other things, uh, your signatures, is, is the tapping of the post. Where did that start? I mean, you could, in, in an arena during a stoppage, you could hear it loud and clear. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that started. I really don't. People ask me that all the time, and I, I don't. I really don't have an answer. Was that a way of dialing and, in focus? I think. I think it. It started with just you know you you touch your post to get your angles right, right. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it started, and somehow it evolved into into more than that. And actually, when I first started, I I would do it every time a team would come up the ice, and then I started doing it just before a whistle so yeah i'm not sure where where exactly that came from i guess i was a goalie and we're all a little strange so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right about that uh ron last thing for you um as you look back and you're back with the kings how does it feel to be back with the kings i, I saw that you just re-upped uh i'm seeing reported at least maybe you can confirm or deny but uh how does it feel to be back in that advisory role with the kings yeah no i'm excited about it it's uh, it was a good experience last year Rob Blake is a he's a tremendous individual. He's just a super guy. Uh, we had him out there when I was assistant GM in LA, and I had a lot of respect for him. And uh, when he called um, last year, it was kind of became a no-brainer. And a couple other opportunities, and this just seemed to be the one that um, made the most sense. And thrilled that they they brought me back for another year. Boy, you guys got a hell of a prospect pool out there right now, too, and another high draft pick yep. this year at number two. Uh, the, the future looks really bright in L.A. again. Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, we went through the whole thing where you win there and start trading some some things away for, for, you know, older players, and all of a sudden your assets are depleted and your team starts to go down, and they've done a – They've done a real good job of building it back up quickly, and uh, lots of lots of good young kids coming. That certainly going to need some time, but it's again, it's the only way to do it. Yeah, uh, I, I lied. This is the last thing. Uh, when you look back at at your time with the Flyers, it didn't end how you would like, and you would have loved to have seen this thing through. Any regrets? How do you look back on the whole thing in total at this moment? You know, um, it, you know, I've been I've been asked like, how do you feel? You know. Claude Giroux and Jake Borchek, you know, they're 
their so-called primes and they didn't win a cup during their primes and stuff. Like, I'd like someone to tell me how exactly we could have done that. Yeah. We didn't have, we didn't have young prospects. We didn't have a lot of picks. How exactly you're supposed to do that in a cap world. So, you know what? I felt like we built the team the, the, the proper way. Um, through the draft, develop, and and again, I think I said this over and over when I was managing that those guys, when these kids come up, they won't have to give us as much as they're giving us right now. So if they drop down to second line players and give us that type of production or third line, that'll be fine because these kids will come up and all of a sudden you get a deep team, you know, with three lines or four lines that can then chip in. Where back then, you know, we had one or two, uh, but you, players don't fall out of trees. You got draft and develop. I can tell you I had many chances to trade young players and Travis Konechny was probably the guy I got asked about the most. I could have traded Travis Konechny more times than you want to know. And I promised the fans at the start of my tenure that we weren't, we were going to see this thing through and we we're going to do it properly. And we were not going to be a, a, a playoff team, a good team. We were going to try and be a great team and be a Stanley cup winner. And I stuck to my guns. And unfortunately you know, when Mr. Snyder passed, there's uh, things seemed to change. Uh, I can't say I really knew that at the time, but they obviously did change given um, when I got let go there. And that's, but that's life. You know, you got to get mm -hmm. back up on your feet and get your legs under you and get going again. And uh, that's what I've done. Well, I will tell you that uh, the educated hockey fans uh, in this market in Philadelphia certainly know that your fingerprints are all over what is a team that's uh, not only good now, but going to be good for a long time to come. And uh, they appreciate uh, the way you did approach things and the way you did build the, the foundation of this team. And uh, so uh, I, I want you to know that, you know, the people do understand that uh, what you did here was really good work. And uh, you really set this, this franchise into a great direction uh, for, for, the, for the future. Everything is well. Stay safe, Jason. Nice, nice talking to you. Special thanks to Ron Hextall for taking the time and joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. So much great stuff in there. Uh, just going through the stuff, how he ended up being a goaltender and uh, his playing days and the, the attitude and the kind of the, the compete level that he came into the NHL with right in the 1986-87 season and uh, his philosophies as a general manager and a ton in there. Hope everybody enjoyed the interview. Uh, and if you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, not only on this episode, but for the Stick to Hockey podcast. And if you haven't if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, do that as well. Uh, we're going to bring you great interviews as the NHL pause ends and uh, the game ramps back up. And again, I'll try and still get that, that audio from our Zoom session with uh, Russ Cohen and Anthony Mangione, and we'll put that up as episode number 84. So when we talk to you again, training camps will be under the way in the NHL, and the countdown continues to the Stanley Cup playoffs coming up very late July, early August. Hockey is on the horizon. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening to the Stick to Hockey podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Stay healthy.